I will be reading Exodus 4.22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Wow. There are just a lot of people here. This is awesome. I love it. Uh, I like to embarrass my children with being a father. I like to embarrass my children with uh, dad jokes. You guys know dad jokes? So, Oh, Griffin says he likes them. That makes me happy. I uh, appreciate you reading that verse, too. But it says, so, for instance, I thought the dryer was shrinking my clothes, but it turned out to be the refrigerator. Or, what did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies. (laughs) Or, this one works really well for me. Dad, did you get a haircut? No, I cut them all. (laughs) But every year, on the third Sunday in June, Americans take time to honor fathers and their role in the family and their role in the community. Uh, And I, I really like that picture because that reminds me of when Iris was little because she has red hair and also reminds me of when I had hair uh, and it was really nice but uh, I do like that picture but every year even though we set this time aside to honor fathers not everyone appreciates fathers Uh, Billy Sunday who was a famous ball player he said if you have a good mom any old stick will do for a dad I don't think that's very nice at all But it seems to be uh, kind of a predominant thought is that moms are liked a little bit more than dads uh, in our society, if you don't believe me. Just any time a football player does anything great, and he turns to the camera and he says, what does he say? Hi, Dad. No, hi, Mom. Every time. Mom didn't play catch with him. It was Dad. But uh, also, if you need statistics to prove this, I felt a little bit better when I looked this up on Google. Americans will spend $22.9 million on gifts for Father's Day this year. I felt pretty good until I looked up Mother's Day. They spent $35.7 million on Mother's Day. That's just kind of rough. Uh, so fathers aren't always appreciated. This on the left is the mother of Father's Day, a Sonora Smart Dodd, and that is her dad, who was a Civil War veteran. It was 1909 on a Sunday. She was sitting in church listening to a Mother's Day sermon. And Sonora Smart Dodd, she never knew her mother. Her mother died in childbirth when she was born. But the sermon inspired her nevertheless. It reminded her of her own upbringing, where her dad had had to take care of her and her five siblings after the death of her mom. And she wondered how many others had similar childhoods like her who were motherless, but they were blessed with a devoted and loving father. And so she talked to the preacher after the sermon and suggested that he also do uh, a sermon for fathers. Uh, And she just said, and it would be nice if he would do it on the third Sunday in June because that was my dad's birthday. Uh, So he did. They got together with other preachers in the area, and they all decided to kind of have Father's Day 
uh, in June of 1909, but it didn't really catch on. In fact, she, she promoted it and she went around and tried to promote this idea of having Father's Day, but one of the reasons it didn't catch on is a whole bunch of fathers said, that's just a commercial holiday. You're just trying to get us to buy more. St-. Now that sounds just like dads, right? That's, now, and they were confused. That's Valentine's Day. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> that's right. But nevertheless, she, she persevered and she tried and, and sporadically it was celebrated. Uh, fast forward to 19, 19- 57. It took that long before it caught the attention of any politicians, and it was Maine Senator Margaret Chase Smith who took it to Congress, and she accused them of overlooking fathers for 40 years while recognizing mothers on Mother's Day. So they declared a a day for fathers, but it, it still didn't catch on. Occasionally, a president would make a proclamation and say, we're going to celebrate, uh, fathers. But it was not until 1972 that Richard Nixon uh, signed a law designating the third Sunday in June as Father Day. So, so I think it's, let's see, I think I wrote it down. Mother's Day has been a holiday since 1914, but it took till 1972 for fathers to get their, their, uh, their equal share there. So if, if you're into the equal rights thing for women, there's there's one up you got on us fathers anyway. But I want to look today uh, not just at us as fathers and how we can be better fathers, but at our great father, at, at God as our father. In Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, uh, Jesus said, as after this manner, Pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the Bible is filled with word pictures like this where God's inspired word takes something that's spiritual and puts an earthly application onto it so that we can better understand it. And in this case, he's conveying the relationship that we're to have with God as our Father. And has anyone ever seen God? Well, John 1.18 says that no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And John 14.9, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus never endeavored to give us this idea of an all-encompassing Father. that, But he chose to represent God in this way, in a way that would help us understand his nature. He, he chose to use a figure drawn from the family with a defined relationship that fathers are supposed to have with their spouse and with their children. But it's not a New Testament concept, and Jesus was not the first to use it. 
It's the kind of relationship that God has always wanted with his people. And we see that God introducing this idea in the verse that that Griffin read uh, just a, a few minutes ago. In Exodus 4, 22 and 23, speaking from the burning bush and talking to Moses, he said, Thou shalt say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. He's communicating this idea that my chosen people, I am their father. That's the relationship that I want to have. I think sometimes, I've heard this recently from people, they have this idea of the God of the Old Testament is this uh, harsh, punishing God, and the God of the New Testament, he's different somehow. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same throughout history, and he has always wanted that fatherly relationship to us it's not he introduces it here in exodus that's the first time that that concept is kind of introduced and where god calls himself a father he says israel is my son but it's throughout the old testament we see it in the prophets in jeremiah 31 9 he says for i am a father to israel in isaiah 64 8 but now O lord thou art our father in Isaiah 63, O Lord, art our Father. In Deuteronomy 32.6, Is not he thy Father? Malachi 1.6, If then I be a Father, where is mine honor? In Malachi 2.10, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Encouraging them to all get along. Proverbs and Psalm are just the same. So it's in the law, it's in uh, the prophets, and it's also in the books of poetry. In Proverbs 3, 12, it says, Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And Psalm 103, 13, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Now this idea of fearing God, it's not that we're cowering in a corner, afraid of God in that sense. We're afraid in the sense that he has authority and power over us and we respect him. It's a matter of respect. It's not a matter of cowering. But I think in general, uh, not only is God the Father and his people are his children, we think about in Hosea 1.10, it says, Ye are the sons of the living God. But in general, I think that the Jews missed this point about God for a long time. And I think, in a sense, they still miss it even today. They hold on to the law, which God gave them. And who do they say is their father? Abraham. We have Abraham as our father. We're children of Abraham. And they feel like just being born in that line is enough that all Jews just are going to go to heaven. That's the way it's going to be. But it's not that Abraham is our father, or Moses, or Isaac, or Jacob. It's that God is their father. That's the relationship that God wants to have. God is our father. So in what sense is he our father? 
Well, he did create all of mankind. That's Acts 17.28. For in him we live and we move and we have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also all his offspring. And the term father and the teaching of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament emphasizes the spiritual relationship that exists between God and his people. We are his spiritual children. That's Galatians 3, 26 and 27. So we're his physical children in the sense that he created us. We're also his spiritual children. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. The God of Jesus reveals to us is the only true God, the God who saves, the God who has a high purpose for each one of us. He loves us as children, and he's given us a glorious purpose. So what is all that fatherhood of God? What does it mean? Let's, let's take a look at this relationship. First, I'm related to God, and he is related to me. When a newborn baby comes into the world, let's be honest, sometimes babies are not that cute when they're first born. I mean, we're going to tell the, the parents, oh, that's the cutest baby I've ever seen. But are all babies, I mean, some of them are kind of ugly. I'm just being honest. But as they grow, they start to look more and more like their mother and their father. They look like their parents. And even if they don't resemble their parents a whole lot, as they grow, their attitudes, their actions, they're, they're going to reflect what the parents are teaching and showing in their own lives. They're going to have those same kinds of attitudes, those same kinds of thoughts. Because they're being molded by the mother and the father. And they resemble the Father. If I am a child of God, therefore then, I should look like and act like God. And I should strive for that. Because I'm a child of God, I should think like God thinks. And I should strive to understand more and more from the Word how God thinks. Sometimes that can be pretty tough. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says we have to love our enemies. So we have to pray for our enemies. That's tough. That's a tough thing to do. And he doesn't mean, and I've said this before, don't pray for your enemies to get hit by a train. That's not what it means to say pray for your enemies. He says pray for your enemies that you can reconcile with them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule. That's tough. That's tough stuff. It is difficult to live that way, but if we live that way, if we live for others and we're doing work for others, we will find that it benefits and helps ourselves. Fatherhood means that I am kin to the infinite God of heaven. Of his, I'm his spiritual child with all the resources that he has, with all of his wealth, all of his power. I'm endowed with all of that, but also with his love. He cares for us, and he is never too busy for us to reach out to him through prayer. I was thinking about 
this as well. There, there's stories about some of the presidents when they were in, in the White House. Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, he, he was sort of an indulgent father. I think because he had experienced so much grief and he had lost a child that he kind of let them run all over the White House. Even when he was conducting meetings, he made it a rule that they could just barge in and, and kind of interrupt him. He was never too busy, he said, for his children. Now, I'm sure there were exceptions to that, and I'm sure he was overindulgent in some ways because he did let them ride a pony through the White House, which was probably not not the best idea. There's also some famous pictures of, of JFK, who was in the White House, and he's on the phone, uh, but JFK Jr. is playing in the Resolute desk, and he's, he's popping out through that little trap door at the bottom of the, the desk. And these are the most powerful people in the world, presidents of the United States, who are, I'm sure, quite busy, but they had time for their children. How much more important, busy, amazing is God than a U.S. president? I mean, a lot, right? Uh, even take the best of presidents. They, there's no comparison. And yet God always has time for us. So it means that we are related to God and we are to look like and act like Him. Number two, He assumes responsibility for me. Fatherhood comes with a lot of responsibility. Now, this is true for, for mothers and fathers, but I imagine when you first have that baby and you, you take it home and the nurses aren't there and the family's left and you're there for the first time alone with your baby, one of the first thoughts that occurs to so many people is not how cute this baby is. It's, if I don't feed this thing and change this thing and take care of this thing, it's going to die. This is, this is a lot of responsibility. This is not like, I mean, I've taken care of a dog before, but this is a whole nother level, right? Uh, it's scary. And that responsibility that hits you when you realize, I've, this baby is completely dependent on me. But even after it's not a baby any longer, even after he or she is growing up, being a father involves assuming a lot of responsibility. Uh, Matthew six thirty one thirty two. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. But for you, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things. God's going to take care of our physical needs. He does that in a variety of ways, by giving us abilities to work, by providing us our, our brothers and sisters and families in Christ who can help us when when things are difficult. Has, has my Heavenly Father assumed responsibility for me? He has. He doesn't bring me into His family and leave me to, to starve and shiver through neglect. He provides for also my spiritual needs so that I can live with Him in eternity. 1 John 2.25, we have that promise. And this is the promise that He hath made and promised to us even eternal life. So He knows my needs. 
just as a father on earth knows his children's needs and knows their weaknesses and their strengths and knows how to encourage them or to to discipline them. The father knows those things as well. Hebrews 4.16, Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now he's laid the responsibility of communicating his great love for all mankind at our feet. He's given us that responsibility. We're to communicate the gospel and to teach others. He's given us that mission. But he's also sacrificed so much for us. He's given us his very son. So the life that he holds before his family is one of a high calling. He's giving us an important mission. Uh, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. That's 1 Peter 1.10. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he has provided that for us. He has taken responsibility for us and sacrificed his own son on our behalf. behalf. The third point, fathers, you can't really think about fathers without thinking of discipline. Thinking about this while I was writing this lesson, my dad, he was a barber. He worked his way through through college as, as a barber. And he kept some of the stuff he had when he was a barber. One of the things he kept, I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with this, but they used to shave people with straight razors. And they had this razor strap, which is like this long, strong, thick belt. It's, 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 yeah, double. It's not a regular belt. It's, anyway, my dad told me that if I wasn't obedient, I was going to get spanked with that belt. Now, I'm not encouraging any of y'all to do any of that. I'm just saying that that discipline worked because I never got spanked with that belt, ever. I was terrified of that thing. He showed me that and said I was going to get spanked with that, and that's all he had to do. I can't think of him without thinking of the discipline that he instilled in me. And I'm sure some of you remember going and cutting your own switch, right? Did you, you ever have to do that? And I imagine, I didn't have to do that, but I imagine you'd cut as small a one as you, you could. You come back and I said, no, nope, go back and get a thicker one, right? Uh, so dads instill discipline. The very word discipline implies authority. You know, it's kind of like this picture up here. The world uh, has kind of pushed fatherhood down and this idea of discipline down. And, you know, all the TV shows, a lot of them, they just kind of make fun of dads as kind of a comic, bumbling character. That's not how dads are. That's not how dads are supposed to be. We're supposed to instill discipline in our children, and God does that with us. Because we have surrendered to his will, he is likewise our spiritual father. The Bible emphasizes the discipline comes from God. Hebrews 16, or Hebrews 12, 6 through 11 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Yep, painful discipline. I remember that. Rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, fleshly fathers make mistakes in discipline. We, we sometimes don't do what's best. Sometimes we have our emotions get carried away or, or whatever it may be. But the infinitely wise and loving Heavenly Father, He doesn't make mistakes like that. When He disciplines us, and He does so through His Word, through His providence, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God is the true Father who chastises us and corrects us in our pride when we come to think of ourselves as being self-sufficient. Because God is preparing us and wants us to have eternal life. In conclusion, God is our Heavenly Father. Our fleshly parents pass on appearance and actions, but God the Father is eternal, and we should take on His characteristics as He is our Father. If we do not make Him our Father in this life, how can He be our Father forever in heaven? Someday we're going to pass across the the chilly waters of death, And he will greet us on the other side if he's our father. I I certainly look forward to seeing my dad again when I go to heaven. And there are others that I look forward to seeing as well. But none more than seeing Jesus and seeing God the Father. If you have not obeyed the gospel, you won't have that privilege. It will not be a good homecoming for you. So we would encourage you to study and obey the gospel. We would be happy to study with you and and answer any questions that you might have. If you've fallen away, you've turned your back on the Father, come back like the prodigal son did. Come back to the Father and repent. And we will pray with you and for you. And he will gladly receive you. If either of those is your condition this morning, please come as we stand and sing.